0: While you are finding your Bibles, I want I forgot to make one other announcement, and that is this, that uh, Brian and Lorena have come to uh, understand that they take on a lot, and as a result, they need to let some things go, and one of those things they need to let go is the cleaning duties of the church. So we are trying to figure out what we're going to do for custodial care here at the church. If, uh, if you're interested in And taking up that and and being responsible for cleaning of the facilities of the church, please see any one of the elders. Any one of them. They're mostly all gray-headed. Okay? (laughs) Well, except for Travis. He's kind of like that. He's getting there. Yeah. Notice I didn't say no-haired because that would be all coming to me. But you can... You can, you can. No, but if you're interested, let let any one of us know. Anybody, any one of us know, and even the deacons, if you want to know more about what's involved in that, uh, we'll be able to tell you. But uh, we are going to have to figure out what to do about that, so that we can have the church facilities clean. All right, let me get plugged in here. I uh, actually constructed this message three or four weeks ago. And uh, because I'm not very administrative, as Kim know, well knows, I forgot that Kevin was going to be here, and so uh, I had this, and it was really upon my heart then. And and so then, but then I had other things that were too, and and so today we're going to be going over this. This is probably the last installment of the Fighting for Joy impromptu series that came that came up. But fighting for joy is a very real thought. And I think in our world that we live in, we have to literally fight for it. I don't think that uh, joy is something that is going to passively just come along and throw you down on the ground and say, have me. I don't think it's going to do that. I think we have to fight for it. Uh, But we are empowered to do so. So I want you to turn your Bibles to to Psalm chapter 60. Psalm chapter 60. And I, I have Psalm 60 and verse 12. Up on the screen, or did I put it up on the screen? Yeah, up on the screen here, but I want to read through the whole psalm, and then I'm going to uh, try to illustrate why this psalm is important today, and I'm going to be doing it underneath the idea that we have this issue with joy and the struggle with what I call life in between, life in between. We're all very event-driven people. We like to have very cool... We look forward to the vacation. We look forward to the sabbatical like you can't imagine. But uh, we look forward to grandkids coming. And we look forward to the brisket being done after 11 or 12 hours. Don't we? Man, that sounds so good. Anyway, we look forward to all kinds of good... We look forward to the mission trip that's to come. We look forward to revival. I, we look forward to all the big things that we, we, we know we're going to be able to experience. We also remember the past. We remember what God's done before. We remember our conversion when we came to know Jesus. But we, we tend to struggle at the parts in between. When it seems like not much is happening, when it seems like there's difficulties every day, and sometimes it's just you want to say, Really? Are you kidding me? I remember one time I was uh, fixing to uh, get the uh, planner ready for the tractor, and I had a MFW John Deere 7800, and it was that's front assist, manual front wheel drive. And, and, and you know the front tires are about up to here, and somewhere about that wide. Okay, and I had 30 inch rows between my. That's how my row spacings is over 30 inch rows. That's what we used back there. And It was a six row 30 is what it was called the planter. You think like, this farmer talk again? He can't. That's who I am. It's who I am. So, so I was I was I had the the tractor parked and I was on this side, and uh, I was and I had to re- re- rearrange the rims to get my. Uh, my, my distance is correct and that's how you work all that stuff. They're not just there for looks. You can change all that. And, uh, so I ratcheted out the rear end. That was easy because it's on a pinion and it drives out. And then I got on the front and I always worked by myself because I couldn't afford help. Because you farm and we poor farmer. Kelly Poe Farms. That's what we were. And, um, so I had it, you know, jack up underneath the front axle. It was just up off the ground, just enough for me to, to get it. And, um. I had my air wrench, and I, bzzit, 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 and I had an adapter on the end of that air ratchet, and it didn't have a keeper. So my adapter came out of the end of my socket, which came off my air ratchet. What always did, and it just, it just capriciously fell and randomly landed. And uh, I thought, yeah, because it always did. This is how it works. So I got all the bolts out of there, and I am carefully, you know, because you want to be careful. And I'm carefully walking this massive tire, because I'm not a big guy, and it's big. And, you know, the last thing you want it to do is start to go over. Don't ever try to save it, okay? That's right. So what happened was, though, it did. It hung on a rock down at the bottom just perfectly. I mean, like if you would have put it there on purpose. And it began to go over, and I thought, Dad always said, just let her fall. So I did. It went kerplump, and then pop. And I thought, $700. (laughs) That's what I was, and Rennie's going to kill me was the next thought. Because we're poor farmers. You know what happened? When that adapter fell out of the end of that socket, it rolled out at just the right geometric distance sticking up right on the edge of the cement driveway there. So the sidewall came down perfectly in the middle of about a 8 to 10-inch area right through the sidewall. Couldn't even patch it. And I thought, it's like Steve Martin just, you know, just, you know, and and how, and you know, what's she going to say, and what am I going to say, and I don't have that kind of money, and I got to plant corn. And I'll never forget that, and I thought, how, why, why do those things happen? How do those things happen? I couldn't have planned it. If I'd have taken that and said, I think right here's the spot, I go, well, I would have missed, because stuff happens. And, and this is the life in between. Now, I had been through the lord providing for me before on that place and and god provided in me after but the the struggle for joy it was really hard it was so such a stressful time during those days and that's the life in between that's the life in between and you all have them so we read in our bible And oftentimes, we don't understand the time differences between these big events. We read it as one continuous narrative and we think, wow, look how God just, there was a problem and then God did that and then they did this and boom, I wish God would do that in my life. But we don't know the time differential. So Psalm 60 is quite a surprise. Let's read it, if you will. Psalm 60, verse 1. Now, I'm going to read the fine print before the psalm, which we don't often do. This is important. Um, Underneath Psalm 60, my Bible has a subheading of urgent prayer for the restored favor of God. And then underneath that, it says, To the chief musician set to Lily of the Testimony, a Mitchum of David, for teaching. When he fought against Mesopotamia and Syria of Zaba." And Joab returned and killed twelve thousand Edomites in the Valley of Salt. Now that is the important introduction to this psalm that we often overlook. We often overlook those details, but they're there as part of the text of God. Okay, and then it says in verse one, "O oh God," and that's how I felt that day. <laughs> okay, and this is this is the joy, This is the fight for the struggle in between. Oh God. You have cast us off, he writes. You have broken us down. This is David writing. You have been displeased. Oh, restore us again. You have made the earth tremble. You have broken it. Heal its breaches, for it is shaking. You have shown your people hard things. You have made us drink the wine of confusion, or also known as staggering. You have given a banner to those who fear you, that it may be displayed because of the truth. Pause. Think about that. That's what Selah means. That your beloved may be delivered, save with your right hand and hear me. God has spoken in his holiness I will rejoice. I will divide Shechem and measure out the valley of Succoth, Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. Ephraim also is the helmet for my head. Judah is my lawgiver. Moab is my wash pot over Edom and specifically on this verse we'll be majoring today over Edom I will cast my shoe Philistia shout and triumph because of me who will bring me to the strong city who will lead me to Edom is it not you O God who cast us off now it's important verse 10 is important and you and you O God who did not go out with our armies give us help from trouble For the help of man is useless. Through God we will do valiantly. For it is he who shall tread down our enemies. And you read that psalm and you think, wow, now Psalm 61. Because that's typically how we do things when it comes to the psalms. This is the exciting part. So at the end it says, through God we will do valiantly. For it is he who shall tread down our enemies. What we don't know is that 2 Samuel chapter 8 is the actual event from which Psalm 60 was written. So if you'll turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 8. 2 Samuel chapter 8, as you're finding your Bibles there, it's 2 Samuel chapter 8. I just want to say this is this is essentially just a chapter describing David's conquest of the land. You know, you remember... When when God brought them into the land of Canaan, they had to go and dispossess the peoples. And God said that He would be with them as He did that. And we talked about I think was it last week how the tribe of uh, or the Reubenites and Gadites uh, and the half tribe of Manasseh decided they wanted to stay on the east side of the Jordan. That wasn't the land that God had promised, but they liked it because it was a very good approach to grazing cattle. But so was the other place, even better. But nonetheless. They were, took a pragmatic approach, and that's what they got. Uh, consequently, this is also Edomite country. Okay, two, and so um, David is conquering the land. He's up in the north country of what we would call Canaan, and he defeats Zaba. How would you like if you have, if you're needing a new dog and you want to name him? That'd be a pretty cool dog name is Zaba. See, so people like where'd you get Zaba from? But that's because of the Bible name. But the king of Zaba, and so as David is up there, they are attacking and they are defeating. And then uh, they want to come back down into the south, southern lands, but they have problems with the Edomites. Now, in Psalm 60, it says that uh, they will throw their shoe over. Uh, God says he will, show, he will throw his shoe over Edom. And in Middle Eastern context, that simply means... Uh, when you throw a shoe, do you remember when George Bush had the, thro- the shoe thrown at him? George W., <laughs> someone threw a shoe. They literally threw a shoe, okay, at him. And that was a sign of great insult, uh, 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 of disgust, you know, you're nothing. And so God is saying, I'm going to have nothing, I'm going to c- conquer them, they're nothing. Uh, and that was part of their judgment too, because you know, being Edom and of course of being uh, uh, descendants of Esau... And how they turned their back on Israel in their time of need. When they were coming out into the promised land, they wouldn't let them pass through. This is all comeuppance, is what happens. This is all life in between the narratives. Well, it didn't go as smoothly. So let's read in Second Samuel chapter eight, verse first. Uh, let's just say verse eleven, and 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 we'll jump right in here, just simply because I don't like King David dedicated these to the Lord, it was the spoil that he had from the northern conquest, along with the silver and the gold that he had dedicated from all the nations which he had subdued, from Syria, from Moab, from the people of Ammon and the Philistines, from Amalek, and from the spoil of Hadazar, the son of Rehob, king of Zaba, again, king of Zaba, up north. Well, then it says, in verse 13, And David made himself a name when he returned from killing 18,000 Syrians in the Valley of Salt. Verse 14, he also put garrisons in Edom, throughout all Edom he put garrisons, and all the Edomites became David's servants, and the Lord preserved David wherever he went. So verse 13 is is where, uh, somewhere between 12 and 13 is where Psalm 60 happened. Can you get what I'm saying? Somewhere between verse 12 and verse 13 and 14 for sure is where Psalm 60 happened. Yes, David made a name for himself. And yes, there was a great defeat at the Valley of the Salt. But the garrisons in verse 14 in Edom didn't just happen. That's what we get out of Psalm 60. It was a struggle. They had their cans kicked all over. It was hard. The armies of Israel took some severe defeats. There was a lot of blows. A lot of men died. And in fact, it was so harsh and so rough that as we read in Psalm 60, David cries out, Oh God, what is wrong? What is happening? But if we don't know about Psalm 60 and we're just reading through 2 Samuel chapter 8, we see, wow, things just work out for David. Look at that and they don 't because because there 's life in between, it takes time to flesh these things out, and i don 't think that david he was wondering what' we do wrong? We just sometimes go through struggle, we go through difficulty, we go through hardship, and sometimes it seems to be unceasing, and sometimes the temperature and the degree to which it happens is. You think you can take no more. And then you go to your Bible and you read. And you may be reading along here and you may even get frustrated. And you say, why can't I be more like David? Why can't stuff just work out for me like it works out for David? Just look at that. But read between the lines. Psalm 60 was not the prayer of a, things always work out for me. I am blessed man and things always do good for me. No, he was on his face before God. What are we going to do? But he also remembered the victory of God because verse 12 says, through God we will do valiantly. It is he who shall tread down our enemies. And I just got to ask in verse 12. Now, for most of you here, I can think you probably have a fair knowledge of Bible understanding. God promised them that he would be with them to defeat their enemies. But does that assume a lack of difficulty? If we're not careful, we may think that. You know, it used to be an erroneous teaching, really big, I think, back in the 50s, 60s, 70s even, that if you became a Christian, your life would suddenly be perfect. If you will just accept Jesus, your life will suddenly become just outstandingly simple. All your problems will be resolved and sin will just melt away like You know, sugar melting on the grill. And that's just not how it works. In fact, it's intensification of battle. The more you push into God's promises, the more the devil will try to pummel you with doubt. The more the devil will try to pummel you with fear. And fear is a major, major motivator for human uh, reaction. Fear. Fear. Imagine what fear can do to you. Most men in this building right now are brave, except when it comes to their wives. Me too. We, because even though they don't weigh much, and we're we're bigger than them, and we got more guns, they have a certain fear factor. They ought to put that on that show. <laughs> the mad wife. <laughs> what would you do? <laughs> but. But there's this you know, but we all have fears, and I'm being a little facetious there. we fear our bosses, our managers, we fear going broke, we fear bad health, and we fear no food, and we fear uh something happening to those we love, and we fear oh here's one: we fear the unknown. that's a big one. You know why we fear the unknown because it's unknown that's right. Well, I read something this week that just really got me right in the gizzard, okay? from This is A.W. Tozer, The Crucified Life book. And he was talking about things that, uh, that seem that seemed to hold us back by walking in the power and strength of God. Things that inhibit us. And he, he, he brings up safety. <laughs> and I was like, okay, listen to what old A.W. said. One of the first things that we need to exchange is our safety. Those who insist on a safe environment are never going to move forward in their journey to the crucified life. And then he uses Dietrich Bonhoeffer as an example. Dietrich Bonhoeffer did not have safety in his life. Well, that's clear. In order for him to do what God wanted him to do, he had to exchange his safety. If safety had been important to him, he never would have gone back to Germany and faced what he knew he was going to face. If your safety is so precious that you must preserve it at all costs, you will be hindered on your journey along the crucified life pathway. Your safety is the price you pay to move on to new spiritual vistas. I read that and I thought, wow we all have things that we try to do or that we avoid in order to be safe. Here lately, it's been, you know, all that happened with COVID, but that's not just it. We have, my bank account needs to be here in order for me to be financially safe. My retirement fund needs to be here in order for it to be financially safe. My, my own security as a person must be kept safe by how others are treating me so I have to do accordingly so as then to earn that kind of safety feeling of security, see? It goes across the gamut. Well, David is over here saying, we are called to go in and possess this land and so many people died. It's incredible how many that we lost in that and, and God, what is up and we look at this, as I was saying, and we don't understand that verse 14, he put garrisons in Edom, throughout all Edom, that, that came at a price. It came at a high price. But it was right, and it was in God's promises. Did God do what God wanted to do through David with these people? He sure did. Did it cost him? Yes, it did. Where do we get the idea that the Christian life is supposed to be one of safety and ease? I don't even know where that came from, but it's not true. Listen, if you're a new convert, and you just, you're new in the Christian walk, and you say, man, things have been tough. Praise God for that. Here's why. Now you're a threat. The devil's going to push back on you. And things that you didn't struggle with before because you were right in the palm of his hand doing exactly what he wanted you to do, now the Lord has got you, and he's moving you into a higher plane, a spiritual vista, as A.W. Tozer called it. You're dying to yourself, and you're living for Jesus, and now the devil knows you're a threat. You are a threat. I'll tell you what, if there's a rattlesnake loose in my house, I'll burn the place down before I step foot in there. I want to know where that sucker is. I'm going to kill him. That's what I'm going to do, because I hate those things. You know snakes come up through people's toilets sometimes? Can you imagine anything worse than that? I can't either, but that happens. Gosh, that just happens. So, I'm going to neutralize the threat. Now, how are we going to neutralize the threats in the kingdom of God? We go to prayer. We take our Bibles in hand. We turn to a verse like verse 12, and it says, practically, this is how this works. Lord, I'm a wreck. And God, I don't have an answer. And Lord, I got a lot of dents in my hood, and there are some folks mad at me, and I don't have the money to pay the bill come Monday. But God, through we, you, your word says that through you I will do valiantly, for you shall tread down my enemies. God, I have asked you if there's sin in my life. You've showed me Samaria's. I've dealt with that. I'm going to trust you because you are my Lord and my God, my refuge and strength, the very present help in time of need. And that's who you are. And it may cost me, but in the end, I will have the high ground because that's what you've called me to. Now, that's not charismatic teaching. That's just biblical teaching. We have to get rid of our idea of what success looks like. So this all relates to the issue of uh, Brother McLeod and their revival in the Saskatoon area of Canada. The praying that they had that he didn't talk about in that video, there were also great battles. You don't just willy-nilly walk into an environment that is prepped and ready for God without great battles. You have to die to yourself. You have to deal with those mm, corners of your, uh, the living room of your soul that contain items and objects that are not holy. That are an affront to the sovereign rule of God. You have to deal with those. And along the pathway of the crucified life, the one that leads to personal and corporate revival, you're going to stumble upon those things. So I did a very logical thing after that tire fell upon that uh, bit or that uh, socket adapter. You know what the first thing I did was when I got that tire up? I picked it up and moved it. Okay, I grabbed it and I put it in the toolbox. And any time after that event, even to this day, when I'm working with tires and I have to flop one over, I'm on the lookout for anything sticking up. And that's how we have to be with our life. We have to be on the constant lookout for anything sticking up going, hey, hey do it my way, no, and you crush it, okay, that's what you have to do, you have to do that, if you're not paying attention, the devil will, he'll get you, some of the, uh, of the most difficult times in our Christian life is right after a great victory and just before another, and these are your most vulnerable times, I, I kept thinking about Elijah, you know, he went up on the mountain there of Carmel and killed the 400 prophets of Baal, that whole thing would have just been quite the scene, man, I can't imagine fire coming down. The Lord, he is God. will no, duh. Of course he is. You know, it took a fire coming out of heaven for you to know that. He killed the 400 prophets of Baal. And then he ran going, He's, he's going. he was running from a mad woman. See? It's biblical. It is biblical. He did that. He ran out into the desert. And, uh, and then he got down behind a broom tree and prayed to die. It was so bad. Okay? And then God met him and gave him some power pancakes. And he ran another long time. And, uh, and he went into a place of rest. He went into the, the cave. And then, of course, that was the in-between time for Elijah, was it not? And God gave him a, a good talking to about how he's in control and he's not. And he's doing what he's supposed to be. And then, of course, he gave him a helper in Elisha. And then he got a really cool way out of, out of the earth. I mean, wow, he didn't even die. And he got taken up in a fiery horse chariot. Gah! But there was life in between that, that Elijah had to go through. So the in between is where your faith is distilled. The in between is where the fight for joy is waged. How long does the life in between last? I don't know. It depends. Um, A while. Sometimes, sometimes not. I think it depends really on the amount of surrender that we are walking in in our life. I think it's how much are you pursuing the Lord when you're not in church on Sunday? That's a good question. How, how, how much are you in the Word of God when you're not in church? Because if you say, not much, man, well, might as well just take your socket adapter and go set it out there on the edge of the cement of your life and just fall on it. And then go, why? Because you're not watching what's sticking up. And you're going to have to fight for that kind of focus. Speaking of which, Abraham had to wait and live life in between for 25 years from the time God promised him a son until that son arrived. 25 years. He was 75 when he took off in the first place. It's not like he had lots of years. He was in the bonus years when he started. Isaac and Rebekah had to wait 20 years for children, and that was after Isaac had pleaded with the Lord for his wife. So for 20 years, there was a struggle. That's the life in between. And what did they do during that time? What do you do during that time? You live. You, you, you raise your family, you go to, jo- you go to work, you, you do your interest, you pursue the Lord, you live. and they, they accrued wealth and they had livestock, and they lived. They just didn't sit over there going, "I'll be glad when this is over, so I can live." They lived. And they pursued the Lord in it all. Sometimes we just sit down and wait. I want you to drop it in my lap. And God's not going to do that because that's no good for you. Elijah waited three years and six months from the time he spoke of no more rain until the rain came. He waited. What did he do during that time? You know, we don't really know what he did. But he lived, did he not? He lived. David waited for 20 years to become king over all the nation from when he was first anointed by Samuel. What did he do? Well, you can read about what David did in the life in between, huh? Yeah, he ran away from Saul and he became a raider and, you know, he he got married and he did all kinds of stuff and uh, he lived. Well... Lastly, I want to talk about Samson. And you don't have to turn here, but Judges chapters 13 through 16 talk about Samson. And here's what I was talking about, about watch what's poking up. You know what Samson was about. He was a judge over Israel, had great strength. I don't think he looked like a he-man at all. Because that would have been too obvious. And God doesn't do things that are like that. I bet he was a little... (laughs) You know, can you just see that is Samson. Okay. Must be God (laughs) with long hair. Samson had a problem. He had a lust problem. That was his major problem, his eyeballs. So the culminating truth of the life of Samson is this. What we focus on the most Becomes the true objective of our allegiance in our life story. Think about that. What you focus on most. It has your attention. It is what you live for. It does become your life story. What's your life story about? What, what is it about you? That makes you, you. Well, for Samson, he was a judge of Israel. To be sure, he was. And in the middle, you know what he did with his life in between events? Chased women. Man, time and again, he chased women. Then he got in trouble. And then he'd go back. Well, God in His mercy, by the means of difficulty and pain... Removed from Samson, the main source of his failing, the use of his eyes. Did you know it's a mercy when God takes something away from you that is perpetually causing you to fail and stumble? It's a mercy. In so doing, God became the only one that Samson wanted to see and in so doing had his greatest victory. You see, what happened, if you don't remember the story, the Philistines came upon Samson because, uh, what's her face? Cut his hair off. Thank you. Cut his hair off, lost his strength, didn't have it. They made a spectacle of him and they burned out his eyes. They put them out some way. Just, ew, I can't even stand an eyelash in my eye. I got soap in my eye one time. That's bad, like a clump of it. That was a bad deal. My dad shoved a grape in my eye one time. Just because he was playing. But It was bad. <laughs> I remember, never remember, I'll remember. i never forget that. Anyway, Samson had his eyes gouged out. He could see nothing. He had to be led around by a little old boy. But his hair began to grow back. But also what began to grow back in Samson, if you read the story, was a desire... For God, oh God, if you would just use me this one last time, do you do you and I have the kind of passion that cries out and pleads, Lord, if there's just anything left that I can do, give me one more shot. I want to make a big impression for you and what you're doing in the earth. So they led him into that big old. Uh, religious temple that they had there and they put him in between these two pillars and he pushed and down it came and so all that he killed at that point was more than he had killed the whole time before. Samson had a life that learned to refocus the most on God. And that's what this is about. That's how you live through the life in between. Keep your focus, in other words. What are you focusing on? In Luke chapter 11, verses 33 through 36, Jesus says, no one, and this is from the NLT. I really like how the NLT puts this. No one lights a lamp and then hides it or puts it under a basket. Does that seem like a misnomer to you? Of course not. And if it were my basket, it'd burn up. But instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it Where it's light can be seen by all who enter the house. Because that's what a light is for. But then he says something. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when it is unhealthy, your body is filled with darkness. Make sure that the light you think you have is not actually darkness. If you are filled with light... When, with no dark corners, then your whole life will be radiant as though a floodlight were filling you with light. The thing that I think of are some of you who are maybe older who have experienced cataracts. And uh, you're, it says, you know, of Isaac, his eyes had grown dim. And I think we're describing a lot about cataracts here. These things that grow on the underside of our lens that inhibit our ability to see so we don't see. And I do believe that it probably gets a little darker. It inhibits our vision. We don't see. And so in that sense, it's an illustration of we think we see because it's a, it's, a, it's a cataract, not a slow oncoming thing. And then after a while, it's just like, hey, something wrong with me. And you don't, you don't see. And you didn't realize how bad it was until you get it fixed. And Jesus is saying, your eye is the lamp of your body. And when it's healthy, you're going to have a, a good go of it. You can see stuff clearly. But if you can't, then it's rough. It's hard. It's like for all those of us who have to use readers to see. Man, let me tell you where I'm at the this stage in life. I got two things. Uh, this is story day. Sorry, I just have to tell you. I found myself the other day talking to Matt. They're going to have a boy in uh, September. And I heard myself saying, I said this, hey, Matt, maybe my grandson can be friends with your son. And I went, <gasps> old guy because I have that's weird that's kind of weird but then I was painting a room downstairs because Wes moved out and left us for a girl and uh (laughs) and so thanks Maddie and (laughs) and I I had to tape off I was trying to get the tape so I would have a good line right and I was up there in the corner and I was like I can't I had to go get my glasses I had to stop work so I could be like, oh. And then I could see it. And then I thought, how bad is that? I've gotten to where I can't do fine work without my glasses. It's gradual. Well, Jesus is telling here, you've got to keep focus so you can see clearly. And you've got to keep focus on those things that stick up and suck your joy right out. Lastly, I think... Like Jesus. Notice what he did with Jerusalem. It came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up. Notice this phrase. He steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now this is a play out of Isaiah and some other passages of Scripture. When it says set his face, what's missing is the words like flint. Flint is often used to describe that which is immovable, hard, and focused you make an arrow out of flint an arrowhead you, you can make you know you that's what you do with it. it's a very hard material and jesus like flint if you want to put that there he set his face what are you focused on like that are you focused on the things of god like that don't go for what's cool and attractive that's a skittles diet and it'll make you sick in the end Go for the meat of the word and grow from it. Now this is the last one. Paul, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, he writes, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press Toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Through God, we will do valiantly. That's why. David experienced loss and struggle. That's normal. He didn't stop there in the life in between. He went and lived through it and then He claimed the victory and He built His garrisons and we have Psalm 60 as a testimony to what God can do between two verses. There's a lot going on. In our time, I heard today and I didn't know this, we just live in a very evil world. China harvests... Organs from its citizens against their will. And there is a huge market for that across the world. And the fresher they are, the more they're worth. And all of the big companies, Nike and others, there are huge NBA, I didn't know. They are all tied in with that economy, too. It's going on all around us. Well, what are we supposed to do? That's what I was like. What am I supposed to do? Well, I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to pray. When given an opportunity to make a difference, I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. And in order to make a difference, I'm going to see to it that my heart is focused all the time to pay attention to what's sticking up so that I won't stumble and blow the sidewall out of the tire of my life. I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to be diligent. To watch over my soul, and I'm gonna keep myself in the care of God through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, which convicts me of sin, and I'm gonna be careful not to grieve him so that I don't so that I grow a little accustomed to that indifference. I don't want to be accustomed to the indifference of grieving the Spirit of God. I want to be so sensitive to Him that it's like a sunburn on my soul. I'll know when He's near, and I will do what He asks. I will fight for that joy that it is to live in the joy of the Lord. That's what I'm going to do. So with that being said, uh, JT, JT's going to come and uh, he's going to lead us just in a, a song. This is a time of examination for us. We do it every week. The altar is open. Is there stuff in your life that you really thought you kept hid? It's not hid. The Bible says, be sure your sins will find you out. It's just a matter of time. God's given you grace before he splashes across the screen of everybody else's life. Repent. Realign your life with God. Refocus. Get in your Bibles and live there. Stay. And be what you're called to be. Victorious. With joy. In Jesus